This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Wits in partnership with the Latsati Healing Space. Welcome to another podcast of Justice for Women Plus with Rosie Mutena and of course uh, Synergy and Collaboration with Vow FM um, and Latsati Healing Space. In this podcast, we are going to be talking about the legalities around gender-based violence. And uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit different to, to the first two, as I do have a guest who I'm going to be interviewing, uh, who is a lawyer, who is an associate attorney at Fembo Attorneys Incorporated. And in this discussion, we're going to be talking about protection orders, uh, timelines for opening up a case of gender-based violence, what happens when you open up a case. And if we have time, you know, we're going to look at what the role the NPA play, and that is the National Prosecuting Authority. But before we get into that, I would like to introduce my guest from Fembo Attorneys Incorporated, and she is Megan Jane Wenzels, who's a multifaceted associate attorney who obtained an LLB from the University of the Witwatersrand in 2015. Yes, another Vitsi. Um, Megan also has extensive civil litigation experience and heads up the litigation and debt recovery review department for the firm. She's appeared in several criminal law and domestic violence matters and has extensive high court litigation experience in insolvency and family matters. Megan, thanks so much for taking time out to be on this podcast. Uh, how are you doing today? First of all, thank you, Rosie. It's good to be with you. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm I'm very happy to to join this discussion. I think it's very important and very relevant. It's a very complex and pervasive issue, and sometimes yeah. it is difficult to understand, especially the legal framework. So I am glad to share some insight into the process, and hopefully, I make it a bit easier to understand. Yeah, thank you so much. So one of the issues that I want to start with is protection orders. There's a lot of confusion in the public, and you know, misinformation which comes from public, from press, from police, and so forth. And that is what happens when you want to open up a protection order, and why yes. I want to discuss this. I discussed this in a, in a previous uh, podcast a couple of months ago because according to the South African police website, if you want to open a protection order, you have the right to go into a police yes. station, get the necessary forms, yes. and then you go to the magistrate court. But what we've yes. discovered, even in my personal experience, is that SAPs turn you away mm-hmm. automatically. At times, they're yes. told that you don't have a case for a protection order and that in order yes. to do that, you need a judge. So from a legal perspective, yes. what what is the route? Okay, so I completely understand it happens a lot. We've had um, we've heard of many instances. I think it is SAPs also not understanding the procedure. So an application for protection order is a court application. It can only be authorized by a magistrate in that jurisdiction. The protection order is not issued by SAPs. However, if there is an instance of assault, okay, so gender-based violence assault, you are entitled to go and report that assault to your nearest police station. And the police are supposed to intervene. Mm -hmm. The police are not there, you know, to be judge and jury. That is not their role. Their function is to listen to the complaint, take the complaint to investigate, but also to apply some common sense and logic. I mean, if you have, um, you know, unfortunately, that is also not the case. If you have a woman or a woman with a child or an elderly person, I mean, you really should apply some sense of, you know, understanding and you know, it's not the same thing as, for example, if it's theft of a motor vehicle, mm. you know, that, yeah. yes, they are both crimes, 
but they need to be treated differently. And another layer is also that there are so many criminal complaints of assault on gender-based violence that I feel that it's not to defend SAPS in any way, but I do feel like they are saying we are hearing all of these cases, some of which are really, you know, very far-fetched. We don't have the resources. We don't have you know, the time to take from investigation, et cetera, et cetera. So it is a whole list of excuses. But again, that is not their job. Their job is to investigate the criminal complaint and they should intervene, if at all, to direct this complainant to a shelter or to ask, do you have another place to stay? Or Mm. if they are available, to escort them back to the home and to state, listen, there is a criminal complaint if we if we find you, you know, that you are committing an assault against this person, you are liable for arrest. Yeah. So, yes, Rosie, it's a very complicated, you know, I, I really do sympathize with, with victims of gender-based violence because it is so daunting. Mm. And, you know, at, at the first the first foot in the door, you know, is difficult. Yeah. So I completely understand. But, again, just back to the answering, you know, a succinct answer the protection order is a court application. So you right. will, you can even get the forms online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can download them. So the forms are, they're very short. I mean, I think there's two or three pages and you can go to your, to the magistrate's court in which you reside. Unfortunately, you will have to take off half a day to a full day because it's queues, it's people, it's administrative process. So it's not a quick in and out, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but it is, yeah, that's the process that you have to follow. Yeah, perfect. And you're right when when you say it's not a quick process. And, you know, that leads me into my next question is that, you know, sometimes one is not ready to take action when it comes to gender-based violence, particularly if it's intimate partner violence, if the victim or survivor is dependent on the perpetrator and so forth. And so the next discussion and the next question I want to go into is that you know, a lot of us are criticized and questioned as to, well, why did you only open the case now? That happened months ago. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you do it then? Mm-hmm. We can't answer those mm-hmm. questions because every, every case is different. But from a legal perspective, is there a specific timeline as to when you're allowed to open up a case of whether it's domestic violence, assault, rape, sexual abuse, and so forth? No. So the, the general rule is that you're, you are allowed to make application when you want to. Nobody's going to say, to say there's, this, there's, well, I'm assuming it's the American understanding of a statute of limitations. Yeah. We don't have that. But, you know, when you're making an application for protection order, it really does help to concisely present the facts. Mm. I must state this. This is very, you know, emphasize this. We are often brought on record after the application is made. Mm. And I completely understand it's a very traumatic experience. But if you are able to provide as many facts as you possibly can, if it's of five months ago or if it's of five days ago, another good tip is to also have your injuries verified by a medical practitioner. The the form is known as a J88. All medical doctors are trained to know what this form is. Mm. If that can accompany, but if it doesn't, it's not to say that your application will not be considered. So when you bring your application to court, um, in some magistrates' courts, it will be assessed on the day, either by a domestic violence clerk or it will be referred to the office of the magistrate for immediate adjudication. Alternatively, they will give you a return date. That is also another problem because the period between making the application and the return date is now becoming longer and longer. 
And until such time that there's an interim order, the status quo remains. Wow. And that is a big problem because it's actually rubbing salt in the wound, you know? So even if you do have a statement of fact from yesterday or from five years ago, you will still have to go through the same process, you know? But when you return on that date, if the magistrate finds that you have proven your case on a balance of probabilities, it's not uh, the same standard as a criminal case, you will be granted an interim order. And that will grant you the full protection, including a bench warrant. So the warrant will actually be issued and authorized on the same date. Oh, wow. And if there is any transgression of that interim order, the arrest warrant must be effected by SAPS. That's good to know because a lot of the time people think that you need to reapply for that warrant of arrest. So I'm glad you've raised that issue. In terms of the NPA, the National Prosecuting Authority, what is their role um, when somebody does, when a case does go to trial? Because, and the reason why I ask this is that there's so much confusion. So Mm. for instance, with the case with the two DJs, the NPA Mm. found one of the cases um, not enough evidence so the case didn't go to trial. And obviously yes. the, the opposition party was saying, well, they've been vindicated. But if the case didn't go to trial, they still mm. doesn't mean that the crime didn't happen, doesn't mean that they're innocent. It's just that the NPA didn't find enough evidence. So could you just give of us a little course. bit more insight into what the NPA do and, and the importance and yeah, around, around cases? So that's a very good point, Rosie. I'm glad you brought that up. In terms of the functions, the SAPs and the NPA perform different functions. The SAPs' primary role is to investigate the criminal complaints and to gather sufficient evidence so that the docket can be presented to the prosecution services to determine if it is ready for trial. The prosecutors, the DPP, you know, the directors general, all of the different jurisdictions, they will not allow a matter to go to trial if there's insufficient evidence. Why? Because their duty is to prosecute beyond a reasonable doubt. And as you say, rightfully, it does not detract from the fact that a crime may have taken place. Mm. But in terms of the prosecutorial standard and in our legal system, they cannot unfortunately present every matter for trial. And And, you know, again, like I say, I can sit here and speak for hours and hours about all of the other consequences of that. I mean, you have instances where people who have access to finances are able to defend themselves, Mm. you know, fully. People who don't have money are not able to, you know. And then the worst part is that you have a police officer who says, sorry, the NPA is not going to prosecute because there's no forensic evidence there's no corroborating statements, there's no J88 or X, Y, and Z. And then the victim is just left, mm. you know? And I feel like it's important for legal practitioners to clarify that distinction yeah. because the NPA solely relies on SAPs. Mm. And I must say there's specialized units in the NPA that are doing a very good job, Yeah, you know, and in SAPs actually, mm. the investigative directorates, you know, or family crimes unit, et cetera. But they are just one unit handling, you know, high priority. I'm sure you heard about the the man who was sentenced to a thousand years in prison. Yeah. So those sort of things, you know, those are the sort of things they're trying to catch the serial offenders. But, you know, the everyday case, it's very, yeah, it's very disappointing because there's just 
there's no capacity. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because two years ago I was accompanying a a victim at at one of the courts and the NPA, the person from the NPA was handling it, allowed me to sit in the consultation. And I looked Mm. around the office and there were just heaps and heaps and piles of files. And I said to her, I was like, what are these files? And she's like, these are what I have to deal with. And so it's yes. understandable if that an MPA comes, there's not enough evidence, push it to the side, let's mm-hmm. go to the next case mm-hmm. and so forth. So once mm-hmm. again, that connection with the South African police service. So yeah. I'm so glad you, you. No, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's, um, yeah, it's caseload. It's lack of resources. Mm. It's, you know, not enough prosecutors, not enough capacity in the investigative services, you know, yeah. forensic issues, DNA, et cetera. You know, a simple thing, to, you know, to prosecute a matter without DNA evidence is the most soul-destroying thing because yeah. you cannot, you know, it's it's very difficult. And yes, you can, it will be very protracted. But I mean, those are the things that prosecutors rely on the SAPs to, to deal with. Yeah. You know, if there's a sexual crime, get the rape kit, get the statements, prepare the docket, then we can enroll it, you know. Um, so yeah, I really do sympathize, but I mean, preparing a victim for trial, I mean, any trial is, is daunting, Rosie. Unfortunately it is, you know, you see these, uh, pictures on TV, everybody remembers the Oscar Pistorius trial yeah. and how he was grilled. Unfortunately it is like that, you know, it is like that. But the fortunate thing is that on a criminal matter, the state is your attorney. Yeah. The prosecutor is prosecuting on behalf of the public, the public good. Yeah. And although he or she may not, you know, be, you know, some senior practitioner, they are doing the best that they can. Yeah. And, you know, people think it's like the American system that your defense attorney uh, litigates on your behalf. And that's not the case here, unfortunately. So the accused may have a defense attorney. And that defense attorney will defend him against the state's case, but the victim is in the state's hands, unfortunately. Yeah. And if the evidence, if the matter is not, you know, litigated properly or if there's any issue with evidence or whatever, unfortunately, you know, the victims have to lose out. You know, you can't go and hire the services of a very expensive attorney to represent you. I mean, we do uh, what's called the watching brief where we just supervise that you know, there's no underhandedness and the things are moving expeditiously and, you know, but it's, we're very limited in that respect. It is really tough, but at the same time, you know, I'm glad that you were able to clarify some of those points. As we close off, uh, in terms of, of FEMBA Attorneys Incorporated, what services do you offer? Um, do you also give referrals to for pro bono organizations should mm-hmm. somebody need mm-hmm. assistance, but then obviously doesn't have the financial resources? Yes, of course. So Fember Attorneys is a relatively new firm. It's uh, Jocelyn and myself, two women under the age of 30. So we're doing quite well and we're happy to be practitioners in a very male-dominated industry. Yeah. In terms of the work that we do, we do a lot of family law work. It's not to say that it's our only area of expertise. Mm. Uh, we do criminal work. We do commercial work. We have quite good experience and we do a lot of uh, family law, matrimonial law instructions. In terms of referrals, of course, I mean, there is, we, we would definitely advocate for that. There are some fantastic pro bono organizations, you know, pro bono or the Bits Law Clinic, the Black Sash. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are really, really fantastic organizations. But again, there's also the missing middle there, you know, because a lot of them have to perform means tests and 
there might be certain qualifying criteria that you may not meet. And then you in the yeah. middle, you know, yeah. you can't afford the private representative, you can't afford you or you turned away because you earn maybe a little bit too high. And then, you know, you have to wait for an appearance to appoint a legal aid attorney. You know, but overall, yes, definitely. I mean, those organizations are doing such fantastic work. And another thing is to, you know, to ask if you are ever in doubt, to ask, even if you're at the court, you know, ask the admin, ask the clerk, yeah. you know, you don't have to get legal advice. You just, if you're unsure, just ask the question. A lot of people are very kind and very open to that. You know, the process, like I say, it's treated, it's painted with a different brush. So yeah, I, but if you contact us, we'd be more than happy to assist in a consultation or to assist with a referral. Fantastic. Thank you so much. What I will do is at the end of this podcast, we'll have all of your details, contact details, the website and so forth. So should anybody need to reach out to you guys, they definitely will do through that medium. Uh, in closing, um, any any parting words to because majority of the listeners on this are South African. I mean, it does go pan African, but mainly youth orientated. Um, any bit of advice or comments that you'd like to make to to the youth that are listening to this podcast? Well, it's just to say you're not alone. Do not give up. Mm. There are people fighting for you. You may not feel like it, and if you are fortunate enough to have your legal representative. I can guarantee you that it is the general sentiment of the industry to fight mm. on behalf of your victim to do the best that you can. And, you know, that's why we do it. But it's difficult. You may think it's something, you know, insurmountable, but it really is. And I wish every victim the strength and the courage to persevere and to seek the necessary help and to get those court orders. I really do. Mm. And yeah, more than that, unfortunately, Rosie, I, I wish I could solve every every problem, but <laughs> but you know, we're human. I, I really we're human. And, and and the thing exactly. is, what I love about you know you and Jocelyn, you you do go over extend yourselves, but at the same time, you know it's also appreciated, and we appreciate the work that you do. There's been a lot of referrals. There's been a lot of advice. You know, I'm glad that mm. you that you mentioned ask questions you know that um mm. jocelyn has just given me in terms of giving advice to clients or even for myself so we yes. really appreciate you and um it's also great to know another vitsy doing really great work out there and so thank you so much for your time and we wish you well we wish fember attorneys incorporated all the best and we really really valued your insight in this podcast thank you so much thank you rosie thank you for having us keep well take care this podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vits in partnership with the Latati Healing Space.